Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans. This is Dr. Sharon Grossman. Thank you again for joining me. And this week, I have a very special guest, somebody who might make you laugh, which if you're burnt out, you might actually appreciate. Her name is Heather Tollybauer, and she is a drop-dead funny stay-at-home mom, wife, colorectal cancer survivor and stand-up comedian providing all kinds of audiences with much needed laughs to cope with everything from marriage, middle age, and millennials to parenting, Pinterest, the PTA, a pandemic, and so much more. She books, hosts, and produces a wildly popular show called Laugh Lines and Stretch Marks, has, has opened for nationally touring comic Brian Moot, appeared on the Weather Channel's original program, Weather Gone Viral, and is recently selected to perform at the prestigious Laugh Fest in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. I think we just ran out of time because my bio is so long. So (laughs) (laughs) we're already laughing. We'll tune in next week, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Nothing like starting off with a comedian and a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when your bio is that long, I mean, come on, that's like, that's like, I'm now that I've heard it out loud, like that's a little long. I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and punch that up a little bit, but no, thanks. Thank you so much. Should I call you? What do I call you? Do I call you Sharon? Dr. Sharon? Do I call you Dr. What do I call you? You call me whatever you like to call me. Okay. (laughs) We're here to have a good time. I'll call you Sheila. No, I'm I'll (laughs) I won't do that. I won't do that. (laughs) So if you're listening to this, you've probably either danced with burnout or you're currently feeling it. And one of the things that I think we don't talk about enough is the power of humor. And so I thought, why not bring on somebody who is an expert in comedy? Somebody who's a stand-up comedian who's been doing this for a while. She's also a mom. So if you're a working mom and you've got all kinds of struggles, I mean, she just gave us like a laundry list of things that you might be dealing with that we need to hear about how to implement some of these strategies, how to be funny, how to incorporate more humor into our lives. And what I love, Heather, is if you could first maybe just share a little bit of background of how you even got into this field of stand-up comedy because there are so few women compared to men, I think, as you've seen. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear your background story and what brought you here. 
Yeah. So yeah, you're right. There are fewer women in comedy than, uh, than men. Uh, I started doing comedy, oh, like seven years ago. Um, and I am not young. So um, this is sort of like a midlife crisis that that happened uh, because my family and I moved from Connecticut to Atlanta and uh, we moved here um, when uh, when I was 44 and I took about six months to figure out, you know, maybe what I would want to do in this new state in this new part of the country. And um, the, I thought, well, you remember when everybody had blogs? Do you remember that when everybody had a blog and I feel um, like now everybody has a podcast. <laughs> you now everybody has a podcast. Right. But, but back then it was so cute. Everybody had a blog and they would, you know, type things out. And I thought, well, you know what? I think I am going to um I was getting ready to turn 45 years old. Um, my son was in kindergarten, my husband's an executive. So I was the only one that was sort of left with with having to recreate myself. Um, in Connecticut, I had my own business. I didn't bring it down here with me. So I sort of had to just recreate myself. And I was looking at 45 years old, like, well, what do I want 45 to look like? And I said, you know what, I think I'm going to just try a bunch of new things and blog about it. And the very first thing I did was I took a stand up comedy class. Mm. And I never left. I was between listen, I was between stand up comedy and lap dance class. I was like, <laughs> which one? Which one am I going to do? Uh, but the lap dance class was full um, of 20 year olds. And so I ended up in the stand up comedy class. I mean, the stand up comedy class was full of 20 year olds too, now that I think about it. But um, but we all had our clothes on. So I just did, I just did comedy and I just sort of stayed with it. You found yourself. I did. I did find myself. What I found was um, for the first time in my life, I was a stay at home mom. And although I was very lucky to be a stay at home mom, I wasn't really fulfilled by it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I just stood on stage and told jokes about, you know, being a suburban stay at home mom. I call myself a stay at home alcoholic uh, on stage. I'm not really an alcoholic, um, but that's just what I call myself. And they um, and women would always come up to me after a show and say, oh, my gosh, yes, we need I I need I needed to hear somebody say, you know, I'm a stay at home mom and I'm not, you know, and I'm kind of ticked off about it, you know, and um, so I just I just kept doing it. Yeah, you got you got feedback. Right. I did. It's very I did. validating. I did. Sometimes the feedback, because, you know, when you do comedy, you're in the room with a bunch of 20 somethings. And sometimes the feedback was my mom would think you are hilarious. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, tell her about all the jokes when she's making you pancakes in the morning, like, you know, um, so, uh, but you know what, that's why, uh, now I'm almost 52 years old. I'm still doing comedy. I do like to focus mostly on moms and women and and couples, but you know, I, I do do comedy in, in rooms with much younger people. And that's why uh, my mom com is so relatable because everybody's got a mom. Yeah. Everybody's got a mom. If you're not a mom, you have a mom. Um, and, uh, so, so that's why that's how I, 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 I love that niche. I stay in that, in that niche. Um, I'm really good at it because I've had a lot of chapters in my life, wear a lot of hats and 
Um, and I know that uh, women, uh, above all else, we just, we need a laugh break. We really have to laugh at the small stuff so that we have the bandwidth for the big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've said so far that there aren't a lot of women in comedy. And I'm curious why, why you think that is? Why aren't there more people doing what you're doing? Um, I think that it's, it has long since been a male dominated, um, industry. Uh, the bookers have been men, uh, the club owners have been men. So the comedians, you know, have, have been men, but I have to say that, that, that is really, it's changing. Um, the female experience in comedy is changing, um, because women are more supportive of women. It used to be that if a club, you know, booked one woman on a show, like they might not book another woman for three or four more months. You know, it doesn't matter that they would have man, 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 you know, if they, if they booked one woman, they'd be like, oh no, we have, oh, we, we already have our woman. We don't, we're not, or we booked a woman three months ago. It didn't go very well. We're not booking women right now. And I think it's just a lack of, of, um, I think it's just a lack of perspective. It's just a lack of experience. And, um, I, you know, I think we kind of gravitate towards what we know. Um, and, um, so that's, that's why four years ago I started laugh lines and stretch marks. It was Atlanta's only monthly, all female showcase. Oh, that's so good. Can you imagine in Atlanta, so the good. only all female showcase was my show that I started in the that's suburbs amazing. four years ago. It's crazy. Well, I think, first of all, I'm glad to hear what you're saying is that it's changing because what it sounds like is traditionally it is very male dominated and there's so much discrimination. It's almost like the mentality is women aren't that funny, but we kind of have to be diplomatic about it. So we have a checkbox and we've checked it. So you can come back in six months and we'll talk. Yeah, I think there is some of that in the industry. And I think that uh, because there were so few opportunities for women, it was pretty cutthroat for women. You know, we weren't kind to each other um, Mm. because it was so competitive. But I see a lot of women supporting women in comedy right now. And I'm, I'm really happy to say that I'm one of those people. Um, I provide quality stage time at quality pay. And I have, you know, men who want to get on my show and I will put a man on my show, um, every once in a while because laugh lines and stretch marks is pro woman, but it's not Mm anti-male. Um, so I, I will put a man on my show, but they have to demonstrate a real respect for, uh, for women. Yeah. And- because so much of comedy and actually this just happened. I was watching a comedy show with my husband and, you know, you don't necessarily, I don't know, I guess I don't expect men to be so like outspoken about like protecting women's rights and things like that. But my husband says, I don't like it when people are demeaning to women, like, you know, because so much of comedy is like a man talking about his penis and all this stuff. And it's just like really gruesome. And -hmm. I'm like, there's so much more to comedy. Why do we tell the same jokes over and over again? Why are we so restricted in what we're talking about? And why is it always about sex and being like so vulgar? Like there's I love that you're talking about women issues to women. Right. And I love that you came to this place in your career at a time where a lot of women are actually rethinking their whole life, their career. And what do I want to do? This is my time. I've already raised my kids. A lot of them, you know, when they get to middle age, 
Um, you know, and that's where I see a lot of women actually transition from whatever career they had before to something new. And when my mom was going through this in her kind of mid forties, fifties, that sort of age, I saw her go through that. And I saw all of her friends go through that. And I don't know about now, but back then it was a lot of women going into alternative medicine. Like that was such a huge thing. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because, you know, at our, at my age, I don't know how old you are, Sharon, but at, at my age, like, you know, the women we're, we have side hustles or we have Ulta tennis, like that's, you know, that's all, that's all we have. But, uh, but if we have a side hustle, we are, it's like the younger women are brand managers and we are life coaches. That's, that's what, so when you say your mom, they were all going into alternative medicine, you know, like, yes, there's a time when women just, they like, they want to hang their own shingle and they want to do their, they want to do their own thing. And, um, they want to do something for them. Yeah. And comedy is that that's one of the myths I think about kind of this this next chapter. I didn't think of myself as being middle-aged at the time and I think that's because I have a 13-year-old now he's 13. You know, he was much younger, you know, at the time, but um at 52 years old, let's just round up and call it that. I have a 13-year-old son and so I don't really think of myself as somebody who started a new career late in life, quote unquote, you know, <laughs> late in life. But I do realize that that is exactly, that's exactly what I did. And, um, you know, I think the real myth for women that are maybe looking for their next chapter is that they have to have it all figured out before they can take action. And they, they don't, um, I think that they, you know, if there's something that you're interested in doing, then, do it, pursue it, do it. That's the, that's one of the great things about comedy is you don't have to be trained in it. You just go to shows and you just get up there and, and you just do it. Some people are more prepared than others, but, um, and as far as men and women go in comedy, women comics are so much smarter than men. Their comedy is so much smarter hmm. than, um, than, than most male comics because of what you talked about. We're not, we're talking about other things. We're not talking about what, what we call in comedy, low hanging fruit, you know, sex and, you know, whatever, having sex, whatever. Um, I'm trying to keep it clean for your, uh, for your audience, but, um, you know, so, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. You, you mentioned that you might not be really prepared. So I I've actually seen two kinds of comics. I've seen the ones that have almost like a script where wherever they go, they tell the same jokes. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's good preparation, right? And they've probably practiced different jokes and held on to the ones that work, right? So you just keep tweaking your routine. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a typical situation. And then we have people who just work the crowd and they do such a brilliant job of that. So they don't even have to come super prepared. They might have like bullet points of like, Oh, I'll talk about this. And then they start just interacting with people on the stage and just rolling from there. And it's absolutely brilliant. Right. I would not do well in that scenario. I don't think just because <laughs> I feel like I would need to know what I'm going to say. Right. Uh, which is kind of interesting. So I'm curious, like, what's your take on that? And, you know, you said you don't have to have it all figured out before you take action. 
um, do you find that it's easy for you to go up on stage not having, quote unquote, figured it all out? And um, if there's somebody else who is maybe thinking about doing something in their life and it hasn't been completely figured out, what would you say to them? So that's a lot. Um, uh, so I I would say that, so as, as far as just kind of the framework of comedy, yes, there are some comedians that um, people think that comedy is off the top of your head and it's not. It's actually, it's a lot of time spent in front of audiences, workshopping jokes, workshopping jokes, writing, writing, rewriting. Now, are some people good at kind of winging it? Yes, some people are, but it takes a long time to do that. And so I don't take myself very seriously, but I take the business of comedy very seriously. Mm. So when people are starting out, um, there are two kind of two schools of thought. One is be, be prepared, right? Do spend a lot of time writing. I mean, comedy is a writing craft uh, as much as it is delivery. You know, you have to have well thought out, smart jokes. You should have that for all the people that are starting out and they just sort of get up there and they kind of wing it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a style of comedy, but for those who, who take comedy really seriously, that's not what they're doing. They're the dabblers and they're the doers. And in my opinion, um, you know, working it, you have to put in the work first before you can stand on stage and wing it. I've been doing this for seven years. I have so much material that I have worked out that what I do before any show I'm booked on is I start working the audience even before I'm on stage and I find out who's in the room. Now, this is super easy at my Laugh Lines and Stretch Mark show because it's all women, but I find out, hey, what are you here for? What are you talking about? What do you, you know, is this girls' night? Is this, are you celebrating something or whatever? And then I've, think about, well, what jokes do I have that will complement their experience or add to it or address it or um, whatever. So I usually now go on stage without a fully baked um, set list in my head, which allows me to pivot with, um, to, to kind of customize the experience for my audience. That's how I do it. Um, I'm a former communications person. I've been doing this a long time. I'm super comfortable. I have a lot of material. I'm super comfortable doing that. Um, but yeah, some people are masters at crowd work, but even in the crowd work, there's a formula to it. Um, if you take an improv stand-up class, um, an improv comedy class, you'll, you'll see that there's a formula to how to keep the scene going. And that's what crowd work is. And so there are people who think really fast on their feet and are just innately funny. But after a while, you start to kind of go through the, the quote unquote formula for what makes things funny. So, so there's, there's that. Um, the second part to your question, I think was, you know, if there's somebody out there who wants to try something new and they don't have a fully, you know, fully baked plan, um, you know, what, what would I tell them? And I would tell them, uh, to, I, I myself am kind of struggling with that. As you know, um, I, I'm kind of pivoting from comedy to keynote speaking and I'm like, oh my God, I have to have it all 
packaged before I can start. And, um, and then I realized that, uh, no, I, I don't, I can just, I can just start and, um, and kind of learn, kind of learn as I go. And I don't know if that's a, I don't know, you tell me, you talk to a lot of people. Is that a female thing? Do you think the like imposter syndrome? Well, I don't consider it that so much as I want to just have it all um, figured out, figured out. I just want to have it all figured out like the planner. I think it's not, I don't consider it imposter syndrome so much as I consider it. I like to make a plan. I'm a planner, you know, whether it's a princess birthday party or whether it's the next step of my career, you know, I want to, I want to plan. Yeah. I mean, I think that some people are planners and it helps us to feel more put together. Like we're not going to make, you you know, especially like you mentioned in the comedy world, how there's already this discrimination against women. And so you want to show up very professional. You want to be funny. You want to have a good experience so that they take you seriously. And I think it's kind of like how, we sometimes are in the world, especially when the more I think stigmas there are against whether it's your gender, your race, whatever it is, right? I think the more you have to work at how you show up. And I hear this a lot with women of color in particular, where it's like, oh, not only am I a woman, but now I also am a different color than you. So now I have all these things up against me. And so I have to work double hard. I have to work t- you know, three times as hard to make sure that I have all my I's dotted and T's crossed, that sort of thing. But I also think that some people tend to just their nature, their personality is to plan things. And other people are like, no, I like to wing it. I like to be, I don't, I don't want anything kind of bogging me down. I want to have things open. I want flexibility. I want to be impulsive, you know? So I think it's just different values and different personality styles as well. So there's not really one thing that leads us to be this way. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But if you're somebody who, um, you know, analysis paralysis, you know, is yeah. That- is yeah. a term. Um, if, if you're that person, then, um, then you're probably too much in your head. I think you're too much in your head. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't know that I was going to still be doing comedy seven years later. I didn't know that I would, um, make that turn it into a business. Um, I, but I was open to the possibility. Well, what I, what I love is that you came into this world and, you know, if if I talked to you seven years ago when you were just starting out, you probably would have said that you were really planning a lot of your stuff, right? Because you wanted to show up in a certain way. But now that you've been doing it for seven years, you can feel more confident, get up on stage, not have, as you say, everything fully baked. And I think that's going to be the same thing for your keynote speaking. You know, you're showing up right now as a newbie trying to kind of figure it all out. But like, if we talked in seven years from now, you'd be like, Oh, I totally got this. Right. Cause you've done it so much. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's just I normal. So. Right. I really, I really, from, I really do hope so. But um, yeah, and, I mean, and it's just like everything, everything new is kind of scary. It's exciting, but scary. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is totally normal. Right. And so we need to have our experiences, but I mean, kudos to you for even going out there and trying and 
you know, a lot of times people are so afraid that they don't even put themselves out there. Well, I, um, I, I look back on my 52 years and I realize I've done a lot of pivoting and, you know, one of those pivots happened a year into my comedy, I got cancer mm-hmm. and really realized that, um, my stage time can be so much more important than, um, than, than me. And, um, so then I really got serious about what I wanted comedy to bring to my life. And, um, and what I wanted it to bring to my life was, was using my stage time to bring, um, a laugh break to moms and women, but also to remind moms and women that we have to put ourselves first. And that includes taking control of our health. And it just so happened I had colorectal cancer, as you said in my bio. And um, a lot of people don't think of women as getting that cancer, especially young women. I was 45 years old when I was diagnosed. And um, so I, you know, I used my stage time. If I'm going to leave my family and um, go into a club and, and tell jokes, I want it to, to mean something to people. And so a lot of times I use my stage time just to raise awareness about colorectal cancer and to advocate and encourage people to get their colonoscopies. And um, I always, always, always get an email from somebody who says, oh my God, I got my colonoscopy because of you. Mm. And wow. I mean, there is no greater, you know, gift that I could give to myself and to others than to know that I'm standing in this space of, um, of telling my story and telling stories, because, you know, I believe that when we do that, we change lives um, and then doing it in a funny way. So that because comedy is a great way to hear things that are hard to hear and to say things that are hard to say. So that's what keeps me in this um, in this comedy space, um, and makes me want to just pivot and and get in front of more moms and women. So I'm curious because cancer is obviously not a quote unquote funny subject. So how do you infuse more humor into things that are very serious? First of all, I had colorectal cancer, so butt jokes are always funny, no matter what. <laughs> Like, I can't think of one funny thing to say about kidney cancer. So thank goodness I had colon cancer. But, um, <laughs> you know, no, because, um, you know, sometimes the jokes just write themselves. Like, for instance, colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of death. And that makes sense because it has to do with number two. So, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes the jokes just write themselves. But sometimes you have to really, you know, you have to really work at it. You have to really... Yeah. Um, you you have to find the common denominator. You know, I have one third of my colon left. I've, so when I had colon cancer, they took out two thirds of my colon. Wow. And the way that I explain that on stage is I live in Atlanta. It depends on where I am, but let's just say I'm in Atlanta. And the way I describe it is that, you know, your colon is like interstate 285. Now that's the interstate that runs around Atlanta. If you're not from Atlanta. And um, when they took out two thirds of my colon, they just built me my own peach pass express lane straight, you know, which means my traffic never gets backed up. So that's, my big joke finish, but, um, <laughs> so I like it. Cause you, you're, you're really being creative when you're doing your writing is what it sounds like. And you're looking for ways to make topics that people may be not aware of or familiar with, or that are serious 
make it maybe analogous to something else that people get. And there's some humor in thinking about it in this new way, which I appreciate. Yeah. So I, if I can laugh about having had colon cancer, uh, then uh, maybe other people can laugh about the fact that they forgot the cupcakes for the bake sale. Like, yeah, you know, and that's why I say laugh at the small stuff uh, and even some of the bigger stuff when it's appropriate. Listen, not everything is a laugh out loud moment, but finding the things that are laughing when you can. And then, um, and then the stress relief and the physical uh, benefits of laughter are real and they're concrete and it's just science. And, um, and then, you know, you, 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 you can prevent burnout and you have the bandwidth to tackle some of the bigger stuff. If not everything is a five alarm fire, then we have the energy to handle the, some of the things that are a five alarm fire. Yeah. So, so far you've said some really important things. So I want to circle back. You said you don't have to have it all figured out before you take action. And I think for people who are overprepared and as you said, kind of stuck in that analysis paralysis, this would be a, a really good tip um, not to take yourself so seriously right. right? while still taking what you do seriously. Right. And maybe, right. you, maybe you can shed some light for people who are like, what does that mean? Or what does that look like? What would you say? Well, in comedy, you can't take yourself very seriously, right? Because um, not everyone's going to find you funny. You know, yeah. I am definitely not for everyone. And I am okay with that on stage and off stage. I am not for everyone. Um, and, and, that, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, and that's why I say I don't take myself very seriously. It is really hard to offend me because of that. And, and I think part of it is just my age, you know, like you get to be a certain age and, and you just don't give a flying fox, you know, as, <laughs> as uh, I think Wanda Sykes might've said that, but anyway, um, so there's part, part of that. And, um, there's part of just, you know, maturity of settling into your own skin at, you know, at, at a certain age, but in comedy, you certainly need to be able to understand that you're not, you're not for everyone. Um, and that's so such a big tip, I think in general, because so much of the time I talk to my clients about just how offended they are by somebody else's statement or not even like having that person say something, but them just thinking that the person may be thinking that about them. And so we get really caught in this spiral of negative thoughts when we're constantly worried about what other people think about us and what this other person said and what it means and why they did the thing that they did. And, you know, I think that just is just unnecessary stress, right? And if we could all start to take that advice of not taking yourself so seriously. And I think it comes from a place and, you know, you can share your experience, but like when I think about that, for me, it comes from a place of being really comfortable in your own skin where you're mm -hmm. not second guessing, like, who am I supposed to be? What do other people want me to be like, like trying to people please and things like that. I think it's like where this is who I am. And I don't have to make apologies for myself. And as you said, I might not be for everyone, and that's totally fine, right? I'm here for the people that I'm meant to be here for. And I always say that to my clients right. as well. I'm like, you know, 
if you're going to go into therapy, if you're going to work with a coach, you need to find somebody that you feel comfortable with. And I might not be that person. And if I'm not like, please tell me, and that's totally fine. I'm not going to take it personally. Right. Because it's more important for me that you find somebody that you're comfortable with than like trying to please me or worrying about hurting my feelings. Like, let's not, let's not worry about that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I agree. I mean, there is something to be said about being comfortable in your own skin and that takes, that takes a lot of time, a lot of practice. I mean, I used to be somebody who worried about the the five pounds I gained until I had cancer Mm -hmm. and, um, and and listen, I had just enough cancer to be credible, but not enough to need chemo. So, um, so that, uh, I was able to have that aha moment and without having to fight for my life. So that's a good day. That's a good, you know, that is like the best of both. worlds. That's a good perspective. That's a really (laughs) nice perspective. Other things you said is that you don't have to have things fully baked. And what that does is it helps you customize your service or your solutions. So if you are in the service industry, I hope you're hearing this because I think that's actually really powerful to kind of get up, get to a point where you have an outline or you have a good sense of what you bring to the table and then you flow rather than be so rigid and so overprepared. And so, you know, like worried about it, not being perfect. So when I started my business a long time ago, I I left the corporate world. I started a business and I'm married to um, an actuary. So I took him out to dinner and I said, listen, I I had a business plan and I said, I want to quit my uh, corporate public relations job and I want to start a business. Now, the business was I wanted to be a, a personal concierge. That was a thing in the early 2000s. Um, People were so stretched at work that I wanted to just run errands for people, solve problems for people, be the general contractor of your your life. And he was like, great, okay, how are you going to price that? And I'm like, well, that's where you come in. And um, it was what, what was really important to me at the time was to have an understanding of what it costs me to do business, how much I wanted to make, What does it actually cost me to do business so that I knew in the moment when I was trying to onboard a new client, how much wiggle room did I have in my pricing? And so that's a really specific example, but that's, I've always conducted business in that space of what do you, what do I want? What do you need? And what's my bottom line? So that I'm never giving away what I'm doing, um, whether in terms of money or energy, right? If it's not serving me, here's my bottom line. And and in establishing that bottom line, it gave me the permission I needed to hold that line. Does that make sense? Oh my God, that is so good. (laughs) It's so good. And so many people need to hear that right now. So if you're listening to this and you're a people pleaser and you tend to give the farm away, because you want people to like you or because it's hard for you to say no, because you feel guilty, because you think it's selfish to focus on yourself. I really hope you take this to heart that you can figure out what your bottom line is, which means in your case, what am I already committed to? What do I need for myself? What, you know, what are the essentials that I need to protect myself from burnout so that I can still show up for other people 
without showing up so much that I'm not showing up for myself. And currency is more than money, right? Yes. It's, you know, it is, um, it's your energy and being protective of that. Exactly. It's, um, it's the, it's time with, um, filling your bucket, right? Like all the things I could say, all the Oprah platitudes I could say, you know, I could say it all, but, um, uh, but yeah, I, and that's why you, you had asked me kind of, uh, up top, um, about, um, about myths and about myths of being, um, su- successful. And here's the thing is in comedy, I don't want to be famous. I just want to be successful and I get to decide what that is. So I'm not trying to get a Netflix special. What I am trying to do is have a top-notch quality show for women by women. And I have that. Um, and so now um, my, my success isn't leaving my family and doing 20 shows a month. That's not, that's not how I define success. Um, if that's somebody else's version of success, that's awesome. But that's not my version of success. Yeah. And, um, and so just taking that kind of control over, um, over what this business now and, and what my comedy looks like and where it goes, um, in the future is really empowering. And I'm super excited about it. Well, listen, I think you are so on the right track in terms of the way that you're thinking about things. And, um, just being able to verbalize that, I think is super helpful for other people to hear that success can mean different things to different people. And that it's up to each one of us to define what it means to be successful. And we're, I think we spend too much time thinking about what other people want from us, what other people expect from us, right? What is the culture? What is our programming? And this is really our opportunity to take a step back and to think about what works, what do I want it to mean, right? And make whatever changes you need to make so that you're better aligned with your values. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, and getting to a space where you're just really clear about for yourself, what those values are. And, you know, somebody like you, you've got the um, the assessments and the, you know, sometimes it takes talking it through, talk, learning about yourself, talking it out loud with somebody. And then you realize, you know what I really want? I want blank. Well, it's um, funny that you say that because I, I still get coached myself because I feel like that's really important for me to keep growing. And um, I had a coaching session yesterday. And so I came in with a specific question, something that I wanted to get coached on. And she just kind of ha- held space for me. She just asked me like, so what do you think the answer is? And I totally came up with all the answers, right? Exactly. <laughs> and she's like, well, you already knew everything. And I said, yeah, but I couldn't access it. Like I needed to talk it through with someone just to be able to access the things I already knew, right? And sometimes like, what does that mean that we already know it? It's that if we ask ourselves the right questions, we come up with the answers, but that's what's so helpful about having that interaction is somebody else might ask you the question that you have for yourself, right? Then hold the space for you to answer it. And then it's like, okay, well, I got to come up with something now. And then you're kind of racking your brain and there it is, right? Then it but comes you also out. gave yourself a dedicated space and time in which to think about it. That's true. Where, you know, you're not, it wasn't something running in the background. Um, and yeah. so I think that when I can get real quiet, 
um, and um, kind of meditate on things, that's when the answers come to me. Uh, but I'm also a big fan of talking things through. I like to talk out loud. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, and you've shared so many goodies with us, so thank you for that. Um, you mentioned how there's a formula to being funny. And I wonder if you can shed some light on that for people who maybe struggle with this and they want to maybe inject a little bit more humor. They want to try it on for size. What, what is that formula? Um, wow. What is that formula? I feel like people ought to pay me top dollar to find out that formula. No, I, (laughs) (laughs) um, so if you go back and I mean, anybody can do this and you Google, uh, you know, how to be funny, right? There are some tenets to comedy. Uh, if you take a comedy class, you're going to be taught, you know, the, uh, you know, five or eight things to, to being funny. And one is, you know, you've heard about the rule of three. Mm-hmm. This is just a real simple one. I'll just share this one with people. You heard about the rule of three, right? Everything happens in threes. Well, in comedy, that is very much true. So you state like one thing, a second thing, and then the third thing that you state is like maybe something really, um, really outrageous or something like that's that's really funny. I'm trying to think of a good example because you put me on the spot here. Well, it's like they have those jokes with like the priest, the rabbi and whatever. So, right. Yeah. And a duck, a priest, a rabbi and a duck walk into a bar, you know, or it's like a priest and a rabbi ro- walk into a bar, the duck ducks. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're you looking know, for a contrast, basically some, like, some uh, surprise element. It's like, it's uh, so it's like one thing is, kind of funny. The second thing is kind of funny. You know, one thing serious. Second thing is maybe a little more humorous. The third thing is, um, is, uh, the punchline. Um, so just thinking about when you're writing your speeches or you're doing your presentations or whatever, thinking about three things and one thing being so outrageous that it's, that it's unexpected. And so it's funny. That's, that's like a really simple, tip that um, I, I actually work with people on that as, as they're writing their speeches and their presentations. Um, that's one of the things that um, that I do is is say, okay, well, here's your speech. We can talk about, here's an opportunity for a joke. Here's an opportunity for a joke. Puns are always good. Um, and if you don't, if you need to kind of tickle your brain, go Google whatever you're talking about and meme, the word meme. Oh, that's a good tip. And then go to images, see what memes are coming up. And then you'll see how people are talking about the thing that you're talking about. Great. And then you can just see, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's really wine and wine. You know, like that's really, you know, Mm. those are two, those are two really good tips I just gave. (laughs) Well, listen, Heather, this has been super fun and really insightful in ways that I probably would not have predicted. So thank you for being here and sharing your journey with us and all of your tips for life, not just comedy. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I am not burned out and ready to tackle the rest of my day. I I feel good. This was good. (laughs) Now, for people who want to follow you or get in touch with you, where can they find you? I'm on Instagram at hyphen underscore up 
It's a, a, the name of my business is hyphen up. You can find me online at hyphen up.com. It's making fun of my hyphenated name. Um, so that's where that name comes from. And uh, there are also some uh, clips of my um, comedy on there. So if you just need a good laugh, just go to my website, but um, yeah, just go to hyphen up.com. Fantastic. Well, we're going to have all of those links in the show notes. If you didn't have a chance to write the, that down, don't worry. Um, and any final funny things you want to share with us? Oh my gosh, really? You're doing that <laughs> to me? Any final funny things? Um, I will say that, uh, no, I'm sorry. I don't have, I, I thought I should have a closing joke. I don't have a closing joke. I will say though that um, uh, if anyone is burned out, um, then for sure, just first of all, uh, call Sharon, she'll help you out. Um, and, um, and meanwhile, while you're waiting to get, you know, uh, to get an appointment with Sharon, um, just go Google some comedy and, uh, go on YouTube and watch some comedy because, you know, as you know, um, you know, laughter is, um, laughter is such an important part that should be part of our day to day. So go out there. I just wish everybody a lot, a lot of laughs as they go through, um, go through this year. I hope. Oh, you know what? Darn it. I blew it. I just thought of a joke. It doesn't matter. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> no, tell us, tell us all the things. <laughs> I was just thinking about 2022 and how hard this year has been. And I'm like, it's like that pair of jeans that I've held on to for the last three years that I'm hoping that I'm going to wake up and something's magically going to change. And those jeans are going to fit like that's like, right. it's like the boyfriend that you keep taking back. Cause he says he's going to change. That's what 2022 feels like to me. But, um, but uh, yeah, go out there and, and uh, get your laugh on, get your laugh on. There you go. There you if go. you are a mom or if you have a mom, check out Heather's mom and we'll have all of the links again in the show notes. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.